We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Romans chapter 7, please. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I shall, <clears throat> I'm sorry. If then I, I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I would not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will to do, or, <clears throat> I'm sorry, now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. <clears throat> I find that a law 
that is evil present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bring me into captivity to the law of sin, which is my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. I just want to take a few moments to uh, think in this manner regarding uh, the passages that speak to the Lord's table, one in Luke twenty-two nineteen, 19, uh, and then also, of course, one we're familiar with in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-four and 25. I want to read those verses, and then we'll look at a number of other passages this evening, and uh, I'll share in a moment exactly my, my thoughts this evening and direction of, of the message, and, uh, and then we'll go from there. Thank you. So if you would, turn to Luke chapter 22 this evening. And beginning in uh, verse 14, I'll start there. It says in verse 14 of Luke 22, When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Verse 19, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then verse 20, likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And then turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11 beginning in verse 23. Paul writes this to the Corinthians, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take this, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I want to call your attention to uh, the end of verse, what verse 19 said in Luke 22, but also then here in verse 24 and 25, that very last clause, in remembrance of me. The Lord's table is a time, a a way, a means by which we call to remembrance our minds. In our minds, we call to remembrance Jesus Christ and what he did. The Lord's table, as we know, is a memorial. It's a, a remembering time that we have, one of the two ordinances which the Lord has given to us. We're familiar with this idea of a memorial when someone passes, We often have what we call a memorial service, a time of remembering that person, honoring them, and a time to gather and remember their life 
memories that we have of them and, uh, and, and do that in honor of the person. Now, of course, the Lord's table isn't exactly that. It's different in one, well, some many ways, but one of which being is the Lord's no longer dead. He's, he's risen. He's alive today. And so in some ways, it's not the exact same thing, but again, it's, it's a memorial, a remembering of the Lord. And in fact, in Luke twenty-two nineteen 19, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-four, 24, as I just said at the end, it is written that we are to do this in remembrance of him. The call to remember shows the symbolic nature of the meal. Of course, the way we partake in it is a little bit different. You know, we don't have a full meal that we're doing, but we take of the cup and, and the bread. And this idea of calling to remembrance is to keep in mind what God has done, what Jesus Christ has done. It is something that is to grip the memory, our memory, to remind us of what he has done on the cross. We are to remember the Lord. Now, um, if you're anything like me, perhaps, when we gather like this to remember the Lord's table and to partake of it, you may find that uh, in those quiet times of reflection, perhaps after the cup has been passed or the bread has been passed, you find yourself sitting there and you're thinking about something, I presume. (laughs) But let me ask you this question. What are you thinking about? What are you remembering concerning Christ? We do it to remember him. We partake, we take of the cup and bread to remember him. But what exactly are we remembering about him in his death? Maybe you sit here and partake of the Lord's table sometimes without giving much thought to actually remembering him. It's become a routine, a simple ritual that we we do because we're believers and because God has commanded us, us to do it. We sit quietly while the elements are passed, but perhaps we do little to engage our mind in actively remembering him. But that's what he's called us to do, to partake in remembrance of him. Perhaps if you're a young person here this evening, or maybe you're new to the faith, perhaps you're watching online and you have or some point soon will take part in the Lord's table, a communion service, Maybe as you sit there in those quiet moments of reflection, you don't know exactly what to be thinking about. You know, I'm supposed to be thinking about the Lord, but but what things should I be thinking? I want to take a few moments this evening to offer six things that you can keep in mind as you partake of the Lord's table, as you remember Christ in his death. Think on these things. I want to offer these because, if you, again, if you're anything like me, sometimes my mind begins to wander during those quiet times of reflection. But these things can help us hone in and not just remember his death in a kind of general manner. Not that that's bad, but think on specific things in order to keep our minds 
engaged in remembering him. Maybe you have been in the faith for a long time and you sit here in quiet reflection and you do think about his death, but do you think about all that it means? Do you call into remembrance the purpose of his death, the sacrifice of his death? Maybe, and uh, depending on the kind of background you come from, the Lord's table is a time to be kind of emotionally, you know, build up. You know, you, you build yourself in, up into an emotional state, thinking about the Lord's death and, and, and the pain and the suffering, and, and so the experience is more of emotionalism concerning his death. Not that emotion is bad, and I think as we think about Christ's death, it should cause us to, our souls to well with emotion, but for specific reasons, not just to get ourselves into an emotional state. And so that is why this evening I want to offer you six things that you can reflect on in those quiet moments concerning the Lord Jesus Christ as we remember him as we partake in the table. As Christ has told us, we do this, that is, we share the bread and the cup in celebration of his remembrance, of his work, and what he is doing even now. And so, as we look at a few passages, passages this evening, I want to offer, again, as I said, six things that we can call to remembrance concerning him and his work on the cross, even this evening, as you sit in just a moment, and uh, you hold that cup, and, and you sit there and think, think on these things. I commend these to you. First, we remember his humility. We remember his humility. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 5, Paul writes this to the Philippians. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, that is the very equal essence of God, the exact image of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. That is to say, he humbled himself. Taking the form, and this is how he humbled himself, so carry on here with Paul's thought pattern here. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Christ's humility extended even to the point of giving of his own life. He thought it of no reputation to humble himself, to come down from heaven, from his exalted position, and come down and humble himself even to the point of death, and a cruel death nonetheless. Romans chapter 5 Verse 3, or excuse me, Romans chapter 15. 
verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Christ did not live to please himself nor exalt himself, but he was meek. He was humble. He allowed the reproaches of men to fall upon his shoulders. Remember his humility as you partake in the table this evening. The second thought I offer to you this evening as you remember the Lord is to remember his perfection. Remember his perfection. First Peter chapter 1. Beginning in verse 13, it says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as is your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold. We talked about this last time uh, I spoke. Christ didn't simply just offer something that he had. He offered himself knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, the perfect lamb. Chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verse 22 beginning actually uh, in verse 21, for, this, for to this you are called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. That comes from Isaiah 53.9. Isaiah 53.9. What about Hebrews chapter 3? as we remember his perfection. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15. Actually, let me begin in verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. I don't know if I have, I think I have the wrong verse there. But turn with me to chapter 7, if you would please. Chapter 7, verse 26. Let's see if my notes are right this time. Verse 
chapter 7, verse 26. Yes. Verse 26, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all, when he offered up himself. We remember his perfection because it was required of him to be perfect in order to offer himself up to redeem us. And then finally, 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. In him there is no sin. As we remember the Lord this evening, we don't simply just remember his name or simply remember in general his death, but we can remember his humility. We can remember his perfection. And number three, we can remember his death. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 tells us this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. We have redemption through his blood, through the death of our perfect Savior. Of course, as we look at these verses and even look at these reasons, you'll notice there is overlap between them all. Yet, if we can cause our minds to think specifically upon some of these things, I think it is helpful as we remember him. Mark chapter 10, as we remember his death, we can call to remembrance what Mark chapter 10 says about this. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. He paid the price for those in bondage to sin by giving his life on the cross in death. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 
context of this passage is regarding using our bodies to glorify God. And why do we do this? Because we were bought at a price. Far be it from us to sin, knowing that the precious blood of Christ was spilt on our behalf. Bought with a price. The price was his death, dying to ransom us. We not only remember his humility, his perfection, and his death on the cross, the purchasing price, but we also remember his resurrection. The Lord's table can be a time of solemnness, of reverence regarding his death, but it doesn't stop there. We rejoice in his resurrection. We remember his resurrection because it has accomplished things on our behalf, and it is the hope of our salvation. Job chapter 9, excuse me, Job chapter 19, Job chapter 19, verse 25 Job says this about his Redeemer, though he doesn't know him by name, never met him, but he believes this thing concerning his Redeemer. 25, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another, how my heart yearns within me. What about Psalm 16.10? For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see Corruption. We know from the book of Acts that uh, this is in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy One. Christ will has rose again. He is alive. He was not left in the grave. Romans chapter 8, as we remember his resurrection. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 and 35. Who is, <clears throat> who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Our hope is in the risen Savior. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're familiar with this account of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. Now, if, we, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. The reason we partake of the Lord's table this evening is because our faith is not empty. We believe in the risen Savior. If we did not believe that, or if furthermore it was not true, there'd be no reason for us to be here this evening doing this. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Actually, let me start back in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead." Finally, as we remember his resurrection, let me call your attention to what 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We remember his resurrection because it is important to our faith. As Paul wrote, our faith would be empty if he were not risen. Why would we put up with the persecution, the ridicule, the trials, the sacrifices if he were not risen? 
Fifth, we remember his accomplishment. We remember his accomplishment. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 says this, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, that the chastisement for our peace, that the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are what? We are healed. Christ in his cross work accomplished this for us. He healed us from our infirmities, not our physical ones. but our spiritual infirmity, our separation from God, our condemnation, our sin. I'm having you turn all over your Bible this evening. It's a good exercise, I think, for us all, though. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll go back there. Peter has much to say about Christ and his death and resurrection. First Peter chapter two verse twenty four. That can't be right. You know why? <laughs> there are not twenty four verses in oh I'm in second Peter, that's why. Bear with me just one second. Look with me at verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And we read this, verse 22. Who committed no sin, sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, may live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. What did he accomplish in his death? Our spiritual healing, being born again, that we might live for righteousness. That we might live for righteousness to his glory. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock which are among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Christ, through his death, through his shed blood, purchased his people. Which I pray you are a part of, the people of God, his household of faith. 
Colossians chapter 3. We'll look at one more here and then move on to our last point. Our time is fading away. Colossians chapter 3, 1 to 4. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with, with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then one more here, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We remember his humility. We remember his perfection, his death, his resurrection, his accomplishment. And finally, I commend to you that we remember his ascension, exaltation, and return. Turning back finally to Philippians chapter 2. I've paired these last three into one kind of grouping because they all relate to one another. Ascension, exaltation, and return. Philippians chapter 2, we read the first few verses of this well-known passage, but picking up in verse 9. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six that by partaking in the Lord's table in the supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until when? Until he comes. We don't simply just remember his death, but we also partake in a way which proclaims his return. He has died, we know that, but he has risen. He has ascended, but he will return. So as we take of the table this evening, I encourage you to not allow your mind to wander in the quiet moments of reflection, but to remember him. Remember specifically his humility, his perfection, his death, resurrection, what he has accomplished in his death, and finally, his ascension, exaltation, and his return.